Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and joined with me, as always, is our beat writer at Beaver Blitz, Carter Baines, who actually hit the road to head up to Seattle to cover that game up in Seattle for us at Beaver Blitz. Carter, welcome back, and, and how, was, how was the trip? It was awesome. It was actually one of the, the busier 24 hours, I think, of my life. It really crammed a whole lot into uh, less than a full day up there, so pretty tired, but I slept in today and kind of made up for my, uh, my lack of sleep, especially with that late game, getting to sleep at three 30 in the morning, doesn't do you a whole lot of favors, especially when you got to head out and get back down to Corvallis early the next day. And then you have a boss that's demanding you write stories. <laughs> mean. So talk to me. I have not actually been up to Husky, the Husky stadium press box since the big remodel. Um, the last time I was up there, it was like, the overhang and it was like a metal open air building. It was freezing cold. I think it was freezing for you too, but just talk Absolutely. to us about the- <laughs> I mean, I was, <laughs> my, my hands are still numb. <laughs> talk to us about the facilities because you came, well, you walked away super impressed and, and just kind of how far behind is Oregon State um, when it comes to facilities? Yeah, I, I've had the, uh, the luxury of visiting a couple really nice stadiums over the last two years and um, Husky Stadium's up there with the best of them. So the press box, as you mentioned, pretty newly um, remodeled. I actually thought it resembled Oregon State's press box um, in terms of layout. Okay. But as far as the amenities and just the overall feel of it, it's just, yeah, it's it's a lot newer, um, a little more luxurious feel to it. And and really just the whole stadium in general. I was That was my first time inside of it. I've seen the outside, but I'd never been to a game there. Um, and I, yeah, I, as you said, I walked away pretty impressed with just the amenities and the overall feel of it as you walk in and there's purple lights everywhere and um, going in the tunnels into the actual grandstand, how there's, you know, like a wooden W and, and yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it, it made me realize just how far behind some elements of Reeser really are. I mean, my, my take with Washington has always been just class. I mean, they do have Kind of an air of class to them that I, I don't think other schools necessarily do so mm -hmm. and I, I was a little disappointed that the game started so late because I was uh I was hoping it would be an earlier start so I could you know the daylight would still let me see the uh the scenery over like Washington and everything but um no it was it was honestly just a, a really cool experience to be in an atmosphere like that even it would have been really cool if it was if the stadium was full but uh, just to get up, get up there and see a stadium like that is always pretty fun. Yeah, it is beautiful during during the uh, daylight hours, even in the rain. I've been there several times in rain, and I've been there in the sun, and it is a, it's a great environment to watch a game. So let's and they do call it they 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 call it the uh, the greatest setting in college football. I think that was one of their taglines that they had on the the video boards and everything yeah. in there, and I believe it. Although you've been to Hawaii. You've been to the Rose Bowl. You've been to some pretty iconic, spectacular stadiums, but I don't know. I, I, I there's something about Research Stadium, Carter. Something about it. <laughs> <laughs> there's some charm there. Okay, so let's just dive right into this uh, 
Washington game. Um, there was some good, there was some not so good. Um, let's just start on start off on offense. Um, what were your just quick takeaways on offense? Uh, well, it was echoed by Jonathan Smith today in the press conference that they need to get more production out of the passing game. I think that's probably the main takeaway uh, from Saturday was just the inability to get anything with any sort of consistency through the air. Um, and, and whether that comes back to the offensive line, not getting enough protection, whether that's on the receivers for not getting open, or whether that's on Tristan Jebbia for not completing his passes, I think it's probably a combination of all three. But um, after the game, Smith had said that he thought the elements kind of got to Jebbia and maybe um, through a wrench in his consistency. But honestly, my, my, uh, my point of view on that was that I thought his decision-making wasn't quite there, throwing into tight coverage and um, looked a little flustered in the pocket. He, he got stripped twice. And um, that's, that's not, I think, what was uh, advertised necessarily or, or even really what the majority of people expected to see, see out of him. Um, so we're definitely gonna need to see more consistency and just more overall production in the passing game. So um, moving forward. Yeah, I, I think you hit the the nail on the head there when you said he looked flustered. And and I, I think that too, I part of that I think is still a work in progress with the offensive line in pass protection. I, I think they look superior in run protection right now. They look that have that comfort level. Pass protection is still a work in progress. But I did. I thought he looked flustered at times. I thought he looked hesitant. Um, you know, it was kind of that do I run? Do I do I tuck and run? Do I not? Do I try to throw on the run? Um, and that two minute drill at the end, I, I was really disappointed with some of the decisions there. Um, again, just looking flustered and it's not like the beeves don't practice two minute drill all the time. I mean, I would say they probably in practice every day with a two minute drill and then usually a field goal kick. So, um, that surprised me. I, th I thought the good was obviously the running game. I mean, Jermar Jefferson week, second week in a row, total beast. And give him credit too. Cause it looked like he, uh, he sustained what appeared to be a pretty painful injury to, I believe it's shoulder. shoulder uh, we yeah. never got clarification on that, but after watching him on the sideline after it looked like he was kind of moving his shoulder around. Um, so give him credit for coming back into the game and continuing to operate at a high level. This is two weeks in a row of above 120 yards. He's up to four touchdowns on the season. Um, I, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say he is arguably the best running back in this conference, just from a pure talent standpoint. Um, I, I don't know where his numbers are going to stack up at the end of the year, but I, I walk away from every game just so impressed with his ability to make plays for himself. I mean, he, he doesn't have a particularly long run yet on the season, and he's still averaging almost six yards per carry. That's tough to do. And that's a testament to the offensive line giving him some holes. As you mentioned, they're, uh, they, they appear to be pretty consistent in, in, in blocking, but that's also on him for just being able to make guys miss. And we've seen how strong of a runner he is, especially in game one with the way he shoved his way to a touchdown late in the game. Yeah. That's, 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 that's something that we see on a weekly basis is just he is so impossible, so impossible to bring down. Yeah, his leg strength is has to be unreal because you know, that was a, a discussion we were having in the lodge about you know whether he goes pro after this year and, and that's going to be for another day. But um, just I, I love the, the 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 two B.J. Baylor and Jamar Jefferson. I, I think Jamar is maybe a, is a stronger runner. That lower body strength, he's able to churn um, pull guys with him. Whereas I think B.J. maybe is that hit the hole, 
one cut and he's gone. He's, he's way quicker. Um, but both of them, I think, uh, and I, and I like BJ out of the backfield as a receiver. I, I think both those guys give the Beavers some, some versatility there. Wide receivers. I, I like, I think Luke Musgrave is going to be special by the time his Oregon state career is done. Um, he had a drop. Was that a Tegan drop? One of them had one that was pretty behind him a little bit. I think it was Luke. Um, a ball that was cut I think they actually, if I remember correctly, I think they both dropped one. They both dropped. Okay. Yeah. One was more in the middle of the field. One was on the sideline. Um, mm -hmm. But receivers, I, I don't know if it's, I need to be able to, see, I'd love to see the, the 11 on 11 film to see how they're doing getting open. I mean, could you see any of that um, from your vantage point in the press box? Yeah, it was something that I was paying attention to. And honestly, they, they did get separation on, on a few occasions and, really just the pass wasn't there for him, um, which obviously comes back to Jebbia again with uh, with those accuracy problems. And I mean, Oregon State only ran, I think, 22 passing plays, something like that, maybe 24. So not a whole lot of opportunities for them in general. Um, that's It is one of the storylines that we came into the season watching is just can this group kind of break the trend that has plagued them for the last couple of years and can they get separation downfield? I'm less concerned about the intermediate throws and short throws because we have seen that they that they are able to get open on those through two weeks. It's more just the the, the go routes and anything beyond 10 to 15 yards downfield. We still haven't seen any of that. And I don't know if if the the coaching staff is limiting that because Jebbia might not have the strongest arm, or if that comes back to the receivers not being able to execute on those routes. Um, but that's something I want to see more of as the season progresses, can Oregon State spread the field like they said that they can and mm -hmm. that they they expect to? Yeah, so, and, and just a quick, give credit to, you know, Washington's defensive line and their secondary was was really good. Elijah Molden was all over the place, all over. So um, give them credit. So let's move over to defense a little bit. Or, okay, do we want to talk about the spots? I'll say that, um, I mean, there's not a lot to say. I mean, I think the Pac-12 really failed there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. The media, we, we just sat in on Coach Smith's press conference. They ask about it during the post game, And then again today, Coach Smith is never going to say anything disparaging on a media call. Um, I, I do like the attitude. I mean, it, it's true. I mean, us, you know, fans and media can sit and, you know, squeeze our hands over this and how horrible that those two calls were. And there were a couple other questionable calls in the game. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change the outcome of the game now that it's over. Um, so I think, you know, Coach Smith said today in the press and the, and the players, I guess, have said the same thing is it's not going to change anything. And Coach Smith said in 20 plus years of coaching and then he has more playing. There's never been a game that he felt all the plays or all the calls went their way or that there weren't wasn't a bad call. Um, I just thought that was so horrible. Those two spots. Can you, what was it like up in the press box? I mean, you were probably surrounded by Husky writers, so they were probably thrilled to death. It, it was, it was definitely a Husky dominant press box. I'll say that. But um, from my vantage point, I, I personally didn't really get to see a whole lot of the re reviews. And um, you know, I, I was so busy with my own work during the game that I wasn't able to kind of follow along on Twitter to see the conversation that was going on. So I didn't realize really until um, well after the game, just how bad of a spot it was. I, I did think from my viewpoint and given I was eight stories up, yeah. Um, but I was, I was right above the yard line in which that happened. So I had a pretty good view and I, in real time thought he got the first down on both carries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the spots were, 
I don't, I don't know if they were necessarily egregious from my point of view in real time, but they, it, something looked wrong. Um, you know, it's and, bad and, yeah. though. When my Twitter blew up with some, my, my colleagues from around the Pac-12 that cover the Pac-12 and everyone was like, wait, what? What just happened? Mm -hmm. That was horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, and you mentioned it in, in the press conference we heard from Smith that, you know, um, we had other opportunities to score points and this isn't the only thing that affects the outcome of the game. And that's, that's something that I, I, I always have a bone to pick with Pac-12 refs, but at the end of the day, Oregon State had so many more possessions where they came up empty and three and outs plagued this team. And, you know, there are times when they stall out and to pinpoint this, this loss on, on one bad call, well, two bad calls. Sure, like, yeah, it, it killed the momentum and they were probably going to score on the next play, but you just have to execute and you have to overcome it. And unfortunately, this is a trend in this conference where we see it game in and game out that you just have to overcome these bad calls. And I think Smith recognizes that. And I think the players recognize that, but it, they do, I, they were clearly frustrated and mm -hmm. you know that they're not going to to go out and openly ridicule the, the, the officiating crews just out of a pure, pure professional standpoint. But we, we heard it even after the game, Jermar said over and over again, I don't know how that happened. I thought I had yeah. it. You know, they, they uh, Smith had talked about how they were already planning for first down. So clear frustration. Um, but yeah, like, as we mentioned, you just, you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to move on. You have to score points when you have the ball and Unfortunately, they didn't do that in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Let's move to defense. I, I wasn't going to address that, but it's been such a big topic. I thought we needed to at least kind of comment. Defense, compared to a week ago against Washington State, what, what were your thoughts? Good and not so good? So I've, I've kind of been struggling with this one, actually, because I look at the second half numbers and I see three points. And when you see three points, you say, oh, that's a pretty good defensive half, right? But then when you... When you do kind of a deeper dive, you realize, well, Washington had three drives, not including the uh, the kneel downs, and they possessed the ball for like, I mean, like 15 minutes on those three drives. One of them went for almost eight, I want to say, and it was just consistent, you know, four or five yard runs, and and they stall out like near the goal line. They miss a field, they miss a short field goal, then they make a short field goal, and so the, sure the defense came up big when they needed to in the red zone, but how they got there doesn't yeah. lead me to think that, oh, this is a sustainable way to win games. Um, and Did I don't it know, ever it's... feel like Oregon State, I mean, Oregon State was in it. I mean, after they mm -hmm. went down early, they went down by I think 10. Um, yeah, you look at the score and they were right there, but yet I felt like the Beavers were never in it because that, like you said, the defense basically let them march down the field, just so slow, methodically, eat up clock, run the ball right down their throat until they got to red zone. And then all of a sudden the Beavers somehow stopped them. Um, it just didn't feel like the Beavers could stop them if they needed to. Yeah. And you have to give them credit for coming up big when they needed to in, in the red zone. But at the end of the day, 250 yards on the ground is, I mean, that's never going to get the job done. You are not going to win many games, if any, allowing that many yards on the ground. So Especially with the conditions sure. the way they were, cold, rainy, wet. I think it quit raining, but it was wet. I mean, mm -hmm. Dylan Morris, I think, had 
24 pass. I think both him and Jebbia had right around 24 pass attempts each. You knew they weren't trying to throw the ball a bunch. Um, so you knew that they weren't trying to do that and you still couldn't stop the run. That's, that's what's frustrating. Mm-hmm. What, um, but did you, th- did you see anything that you liked? I mean, I thought we've talked a little bit about secondary play is getting better. Um, I personally, I worry about the lack of a true nose tackle. I think if the Beavers are going to continue to run a three, four, I mean, this is where they're really missing Jordan Whitley. And this is where recruiting needs to, I think, really focus on is, is a, a true and, nose tackle. And they may be down Alexander Skelton now too, who, yeah. uh, who went down with what looked like potentially a knee injury. Um, and I don't, I don't believe he came back into the game after that. And coach Smith didn't mention him. I should have asked about him today because he's not real um, forthcoming with injuries unless you ask specifically, but might have to ask him about him on, on Thursday um, or ask Coach Tibisar on Wednesday. Um, okay, let's move away from Washington for a minute. And let's, we've seen two play, or we've seen two games from the Beavers, and we've seen some other football in the Pac 12. What are your, what have we learned overall in those two games? Well, I think we've, this is a tough question to answer in that at the end of like, it's still two games, you know, in a normal season, we're two games in and we say, well, there's 10 more games. This team has a long way to go. Um, so I think it is easy to jump to conclusions now. Um, but I think there are some trends that are starting to surface. You mentioned it; the secondary is better and that's going to be overshadowed at times by weaker play up front on the defensive line. But from what we've seen through two weeks, I've been pretty impressed there. Quarterback play, shaky. Uh, The numbers were there against Washington State, the way in which they came. A lot of them came late when when Washington was in prevent defense, but um, quarterback play has has been shaky. Jamar Jefferson, we know, has confirmed that he is, we said it earlier, one of the best, one of the best running backs in the conference, if not the country. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we could go on and on about, about a lot of these things, but I think those are probably the three main trends that really stand out to me, along with the, uh, the lack of push from the defensive line. Yeah. Um, do you think Washington State is better than we thought before the season? Potentially. I didn't catch uh, any of the Washington State Oregon game, but I was following the score. And yeah, I t- Coach Rolovich has something has something brewing up there. And I know Oregon State fans may might not be willing to admit that necessarily um, with with Coach Rolovich, but I got to give him credit. He is exceeding expectations early, and Jane Delora looks like the real deal. I think he's going to have a pretty bright future ahead of him up there in Pullman. So speaking of that, I mean, you've played sports, you know, throughout your, your high school and, and youth career. How much of that, though, do you think could be that new factor, you know, where a new coach comes in and there's that excitement and buy-in? Um, or do you think, I mean, do you really think he's the real deal, good coach? There could be an element of, of that novelty factor there. I think um, football in particular is a sport where when it comes to game planning, you rely a lot on having film to scout from, and that really just hasn't been there um, for Oregon State and Oregon now going up against Wazoo, having to go and look at Jane Delora's high school tape and watching Hawaii film for, for Coach Rolovich's scheme. Um, 
but but I think Oregon State is in the, it, they're in this weird position where they've played now two games against teams um, who are playing their season opener, and they've got Cal coming in this week who's only played one game. So it's it's one of the many challenges of this 2020 season where you're kind of adapting on the fly. And I will give the Beavers a ton of credit. They did that this week um, on, on the defensive side in particular, made some some halftime adjustments and and came out and played at a much higher level as the game went on. There's been a lot of, of that flipping on the fly, right? I mean, Cal US or UCLA this week, they flipped from who they were supposed to play. And I don't even know if they were technically ever scheduled to play each other, if they were the cross. Um, but it does have that feeling kind of of, I've been calling it a glorified scrimmage year, you know, a, a, a lot of just kind of practice games. So that leads me to a question. And this was several damn questions that we received, but I'm just going to throw it out there to you. We talked about QB play being inconsistent. The Beavers have, we played two games. They have at max five more. That's hoping, but that's fingers crossed that every, everybody stays healthy and the Beavers are able to play. Um, it is a glorified practice season. There's no national championship discussion for Oregon State. Um, what do you do with quarterback? Do you stick with Jebbia? And I mean, you don't, like I said, you don't want to crush his confidence, but at the same time, do you use any of these games to see what uh, Ben Goldbranson or a Chance Nolan or a Nick Moore can do under with live bullets flying? Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's still a little early in the season season to make that move. Um, obviously, if you're, if you're up big or down big, you, you have to do that just to see what you've got. But in terms of uh, if, if I was coach, would I throw Chance Nolan out there and start him in game three or four? I, I wouldn't, honestly. I, I think Tristan Jebbia is just so entrenched as the guy for the future with this staff. I, I think they're fully committed to him. And if that's the case, they're just going to ride him and get as much experience for him as they can. Because ultimately, if, if you want him to start for you for the next two years after this, he needs all of the experience he can get in this shortened season. So, so well, so, I do think, go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was, so why do you think it is Oregon State rarely, I can't remember the last time Oregon State had a first year starter come out and look lights out. Whereas teams we play, I, I mean, Jaden Delora, true freshman comes out, looks like he's a, a seasoned vet. I mean, I think back even Jake Luton and, and I get it. I mean, the, the most popular guy on the football team, if you're losing, is the backup quarterback. But um, why why do you think it is? And this isn't just a Smith question or a Smith thing. This was, you can go right down the list. Riley and um, Anderson, first-year quarterbacks struggle at Oregon State, whereas sometimes we've seen them at other places thrive. It's kind of mind-boggling, really. Like, I, I don't even know where to begin to answer that. And Maybe it comes back to today. <laughs> yeah, that's you kind of stumped me there. I <laughs> I guess the only the only thing I could think of is maybe it comes back to re recruiting and and bringing in more of those quote unquote project guys that they see the potential there, but maybe they're they're still a little bit raw and it's going to take take them experience and um, getting comfortable in the scheme and with their teammates more than just somebody like Jane Delore relying on his natural ability to scramble or um, 
I don't know, somebody like Justin Herbert at Oregon who, who found a lot of success early because of his pure arm strength. Uh, may, maybe that is part of the, the equation, but yeah, that's, that's a really tough question. I don't know either. I, these are the things that I talk about with my husband at my house. This is, these are the conversations Eric and I have when we're just kind of sitting around talking football is why. Yeah. That's I'm a total nerd. I'm sorry. That's just kind of how I am, but you knew that Carter, you already know that I'm a total nerd. So, um, so let's jump into some damn questions here because we had a lot of good ones and we've kind of answered some kind of throughout the pod. We've had, I mean, lots on Twitter. We had a lot in the lodge and I, um, we've kind of answered a lot of them kind of throughout, but um, let's talk a little recruiting. Do you think, I mean, I've said now Oregon State needs some detach or D linemen. Do you think they take three to four Juco D linemen? I, I don't even know if they have that much room right now. Do they take three or four JCs or would you like to see them go the prep route? Uh, well, I look at the, uh, we've talked a couple times here about the secondary and, and the improvements we've seen there year over year. And it really hasn't been the JUCO guys necessarily who have elevated it unless they're doing it in practice and pushing these, these other guys to where like, Oh, I need to get better so that they don't come and steal my spot. Mm -hmm. um, but, but like, we haven't seen a whole lot of Elton Julian or Rajon Wright or really any of that. So normally I would say, yeah, go that route and get somebody who can come in and and um, elevate your your talent level right away. But maybe you do go long term and say, hey, we this needs to be a focus in the prep ranks for the next two years, and we're going to get the solid base and develop them, and then three years from now we're going to have a solid line. I, I actually agree with you, Carter, because I, I look at what Oregon State has done. Sometimes JUCOs take a little while to develop, so I, I look at. Tavis Shippen, who was asked about today, he has not seen the field. He is suited up, ready to go. But Coach Smith today mentioned it was a conditioning and, and ready to go kind of thing. So he's still working to get in shape. Um, so there's some time there. And then I look back, you know, even last season, uh, Simon Sandberg or James Rawls, we saw some, but we're just starting to see them in year two start to really contribute. So I'm with you. I almost think you go a prep and you really, you mold them in what you want. Yeah, I completely agree. And in the meantime, you just, you, you roll with your linebackers. And yeah. it, we, we saw a lot of that, I think, in the Washington game where they, they loaded the box a little bit, um, brought two edge rushers in at the same time and just kind of lined them up as a, a glorified defensive lineman. And I know that we said last week that that's not the position to put Hamaka Rashid in if he's going to be an effective pass rusher. But when you have such a, a glaring weakness like that up front you just you kind of have to do everything you can to to make up for it and maybe it takes putting your pass rushers on the line yeah no I was I they did get creative and I and I think the second half they did make some adjustments but that brings me to the, my next damn question is where has Ham been he has not been dominating this year um do you think it's just teams focusing on him do you think what you know what are your thoughts because he has been pretty quiet not a single tackle for loss all year and really just not many tackles at all. And that's uh, uh, surprising to say the least, but yeah, Jonathan Smith touched on it today that he has noticed on pretty much every passing play opposing offensive lines are keying in on where is Hamak Rashid, whether it's, you know, double teaming him or, or making sure that uh, if, if they've got a running back in that he's helping out to block on him, 
it's a it's, a, it's a point of emphasis and that's tough for anyone to have to break through an extra an extra block um so let's I, this wasn't one of the damn questions but it makes me wonder what's going to happen to the oregon state because we know just like uh, teams are keying in on ham when they start keying in on jamar that's kind of terrifying really and i think that's why it's such a point of emphasis now to get uh, the, the passing game rolling because I mean we've we've seen Cal's ability on defense over the last couple of years and I know that they they gave up 34 to UCLA but if, if they're able to take Jamar out of the equation I really don't see where Oregon State's getting any yards yeah okay that was that was just a one-off question because we we do this I, I do have a script but um, we kind of go off on what we, we so here's another damn question for you End of the season, are Coach Tibisar and Coach Cook is still on staff? Uh, well, I have concerns about Cookus just in terms of, okay, sure, like special teams kind of came through this week with, with a fluky punt return touchdown. Um, Champ Fleming's had a couple nice returns, but overall, I mean, those are probably the most positive plays we've seen on special teams over the last three years. And I, I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in that element of the game. And if you're going to have a coach dedicated to that specific group, it has to be a game changing, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to have a coach there who's going to actively elevate them. If you're going to have someone on staff with that focus, yeah. um, when it comes to Tibisar, I I really don't even know because we've talked about this and it's a question of how much of the defensive struggles are personnel related and how much are coaching related. And I just, I really don't know at this point how to differentiate between that because you look at the defensive line and like, they're very clearly depleted personnel wise. Whereas with the linebackers, you have the talent and you know maybe like, are they being utilized correctly? I don't know, but I think it's an element of both. And so I don't know how much blame you can put on Tibisar. I, that's a tricky one, but yeah, Cocos, I, I do, I do have serious concerns about. So my, my feeling on this is it's a wacky season and I don't, and I Smith is an inexperienced head coach. I think both remain. I think we see them both returning next year. I, I don't, I don't see him making a change. Um, just because of that, but I do, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think to address some, I mean, some of it's bad luck. I mean, who would have ever guessed that your starting nose tackle is, is going to be um, diagnosed with a heart tumor. I mean, so I didn't even know that existed until Jordan Whitley had posted about it. Um, there's some bad luck there, but at the same time, you should never be that depleted. And so that's, that's the coach's other role, not only just coming up with a game plan and putting their personnel in the right possession positions to be successful, it's also recruiting for the future and making sure that you don't have these depletions, that you have guys waiting in the wings to, to build on. And to see that cupboard so empty right now with, and this is year three, that to me is frightening. That to me, if this was year one or year two, you give them a little leeway, but this is year three and you should be building your way right up to having a, a plug and play system in place. And I mean, like I said, I, you're always going to have an injury one off here and there, but defensive line is especially when you're playing a 3-4 th defense you really need that big nose tackle that's going to plug some lanes 
um, Washington does have the biggest offensive line that we will see all year. So um, that's one thing. Here was kind of a fun question. Going back, so San Jose State is like rolling this year. If you if you haven't watched any of the Mountain West, which for me it's super fun to watch them because you go down their their list of coaches and there's Beaver ties all the way down. So Brent Brennan is the head coach. Um, Kevin McGiven and Derek Odom, both who were here under Gary Anderson, are offensive and defensive coordinators. You have former Beaver players. Ryan Gunderson is the quarterback coach. You have Eric Williams as the DB coach. You have Kevin Cummings as the wide receiver coach. Um, so just a lot of Beaver. Oh, Jose Amalo is there as their D line coach. So tons of Beaver ties. And I've kept in contact with several of those coaches and their wives. And um, it's fun to hear, you know, they're always rooting for Oregon State. And so anyway, back and go back in your time machine here, Carter. 2017, you have the choice to hire your next head coach. Do you take Jonathan Smith or do you take Brent Brennan, knowing what you know now? You know, I, I looked at this question before we started this pod and I said, I, I really like, don't know how to ask that question. <laughs> I, I was, I was hoping we were going to dodge that one. And I'm, I'm, I don't really fully know how to answer it. So I'm going to give kind of a half answer here. And I'm going to go back to something that I talked to you about yesterday when we were debriefing the game. And I said that I still think that Jonathan Smith could very well be the answer for this program. I, I just don't know if, if anyone has the patience to give him the amount of time it's going to take. And I, I say that because you bring Jonathan Smith in with no head coaching experience and sure, like some coaches thrive and, and make a name for themselves early, but others, it takes a few years. And so is Oregon state willing to give him, I don't know, let's say seven years for him to get some experience and, and have a couple rounds of his own recruiting cycle and everything like is, is anyone willing to give him that much time? But if you fire him before then, and you say 15 years from now, head coach Jonathan Smith is taking Texas to the college football playoff, you know, you're going to be kicking yourself for, for giving up early. And so I, I know this doesn't fully answer the question of, of Brennan versus Smith, but it's just something that I've, I've been thinking about the last week or two. And I, I think it should be said that it's still too early to say whether or not Smith is the answer. And, and I hope that all parties involved have the patience to to give it the full shot and, and give him enough time. Because I, I think that's a good point because Coach Smith, when, they, when, when Scott Barnes hired him, you're not bringing in a guy that is a seasoned vet who you give him three to five years to turn the thing around. Um, where Oregon State was, was kind of so far down. Um, but this was an, okay, this was another question though. Looking at Oregon State's players that we've had the past couple of years, do you think the narrative, do you agree with the narrative that Gary Anderson had left the cupboards bare for Coach Smith? No, I, I, I don't think so. Because um, look at all the players who have made plays for the last year and a half. It's Hammock Rashid. It's, um, I, I mean, there's, there's a yeah, slew of them. Yeah. I, 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 I can't name them all, but um, really the only Smith guys that we have seen so far uh, you know, Musgrave comes to mind. Um, Jamar. We're starting, Jamar, of course. We're starting to see some others climb up the depth chart, but not necessarily um, um, earn, earn their roles yet. And Juco guys aside, 
because yeah. uh, I, I, recruiting wise, obviously, I think we're, we're focusing on, on talking prep. Preps. I, I'm, I'm going to give it another year, maybe two to fully determine, you know, where this, where the staff lies recruiting wise. Um, Cause a lot of it does also come to talent development and that takes a couple of years. You're not going to see, um, I know Corey Stover is an example. He's somebody who has cracked the two deep, but it takes a couple of years to craft a defensive lineman. So I, yeah, because Oregon I, I still, I still think it might be, I still think it might be a year too early to make yeah. the judgment with all of the uh, the information we need to make it accurately. You make a good point because you look at the, the four and five star guys that the big programs are getting, they're four and five star guys because they are physically ready to go in and play right now. Um, you know, the Kayvon Thibodeaux and, and the guys that like go to Alabama, those guys are ready, you know, to hit the ground running. Oregon State has to rely on, on the guys that they have to develop and bring up. So that is a longer development that takes up more time it's also about develop or finding those guys that fit your program. And I think Coach Smith has done a really good job building a culture um, with his staff and his players. They're, I, sometimes I get down that they're not up enough. We don't, that we don't have any like real vocal um, fiery coaches. They're all very even keel. But I think in, in one level, I would like to see that for maybe one or two staff members, but it keeps that team. I mean, they fought, they fought from, to the very end at Washington and um, never did give up. So I think sometimes that even keel is, is a good trait, but that's the guys, when you start looking at who they're bringing in, they're smart. You know, there's, there hasn't been any academic question marks along the, since coach Smith has been in play, um, you know, no, did not qualify guys that we used to see Riley take chances on. So um, I, I think you're right. It's going to take a couple years. I think Beaver nation needs to be patient. I know. I, I'm just as frustrated, I think, as, as Beaver fans, because I thought this might be the next the year that they take that next step. Um, but it might be with, with the Oregon State still is then, I guess, tenuous enough in their talent that when you do lose a Jordan Whitley or, you know, David Morris isn't able to play that, you know, that lack of one or two guys really makes a huge, huge difference. Carter, are you excited for Cal this week? Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that this might be the week that the Beavers can finally break through uh, I, after I seeing the way. Super good, but they, they didn't show me a whole lot against UCLA. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'll, I'll give them a break because they did only have 48 hours to prepare. And I mean, I, I don't know how you can effectively get ready for a game on that short of notice. But yeah, I, I, after looking at the outcome of that, I have a lot of confidence that Oregon State can take advantage of this opportunity and maybe get some momentum here. Cause who knows, like you win a game and, and the, the switch flips and th this could still, they, they could still salvage this season. It's still early. It is. It is. Um, but gosh, it's not easy being a viewer fan. It, it's just, I don't know what's worse getting just your teeth kicked in every week or these close almost had games, but Carter and I will be back. Thank you for joining the damn podcast. We will be back next week to wrap up the Cal game and take your damn questions. In the meantime, check out beaverblitz.com and the lodge for all the latest.